Come Holy Spirit, give us tender hearts to receive the gospel, Lord, this morning. Help us to hear your word of hope and of challenge, Lord, of repentance and of good news. Lord, come in power. Lord, grant me, uh, the preacher, a word from the throne room of heaven this morning and grant us all expectant and open hearts, willing to listen and to receive the word that you would speak among us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated. Has anybody here been watching that streaming series called The Chosen? Uh, I, I'm really enjoying that. I love that. It's a, a crowdfunded. It's streaming. I, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's very engaging. It's quite delightful. And uh, uh, in fact, it's, it's been one of uh, the most moving things in my devotions lately. But in that in that series, uh, one of Jesus's disciples is about the life of Jesus, and and it's really the uh, telling of the gospel story all over again. And one of Jesus's disciples, Simon Peter. When he talks about John the Baptist, he calls him Creepy John. <laughs> Creepy John. Yeah, I know that's some artistic license, but I, I think he might have it you know, pretty spot on there. I mean, the guy lives in the desert. He wears camel hair clothes. He eats bugs. He's a little confrontational. You know, it's artis artistic license, but I think it kind of describes this guy. And you know, every Advent... We hear about John the baptizer. Every Advent, we hear about him. And it seems odd. I mean, in this time of year, it's kind of incongruous to hear this fiery prophet coming out of the desert speaking when the world around us has got its mind anywhere else but on that kind of prophetic challenge that John would bring. John is not a warm and fuzzy figure. Okay, he may be a little fuzzy because he does wear camel hair, but he's not a warm and fuzzy figure. Uh, but why do we focus? Why do we focus in Advent on this wilderness prophet? Well, the church wisely turns its attention to the biblical accounts of John the Baptist because his role was to prepare people to encounter Jesus Christ. And that's the whole theme of Advent, preparation to encounter Jesus Christ. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight. So Advent's central purpose is to remind us that we are not to meet the Lord in an unprepared state when he returns again in glory. There are things that we need to attend to in our lives, corporately as church and individually, in order to be ready to receive Jesus Christ, either at the end of our lives, when he comes to take us at the end of our life, or at the end of the age. And so this morning, I need to hear from John. I need to hear from John the baptizer, and maybe you do as well. What do I need to do to be ready for Jesus's soon coming again? What do I need to do to prepare for Jesus's soon coming again? You know, there are several words that just kind of pop out to me in Matthew chapter 3, words that immediately jump to my attention. And there is a word that is repeated right here that arrests me every time I turn to this passage, and that word is wilderness, wilderness. Listen to, again, this is uh, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then again, verse 3, we just heard it actually. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So 
the desert, the wilderness. That is not a throw. Uh, Matthew is not just giving us a throwaway word for a throwaway scene setting here. No, this the wilderness is a key location for encountering God throughout the Old Testament scriptures. In the story of Israel, the wilderness, the desert, is a key location. And so right away, Matthew is telling us through the setting of the scene here that something is happening that links us to those wilderness encounters with God. Something like when Hagar flees into the desert and she encounters God there and she names him the God who sees me. Or like Moses who encounters God in the burning bush on the backside of the desert. You think the desert is desolate? You wait till you get to the backside of the desert. It links us to God's people who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time in the wilderness, in the desert, God spoke Torah to them, taught them how to worship, and provided manna from heaven and water from the rock. The wilderness, listen, the wilderness is where God took a bunch of escaped slaves and turned them into his very own people. We encounter God in the wilderness. The desert is a place where God speaks. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs reminds us that the Hebrew word midbar, or wilderness, has the same root as the word debar, or devar, meaning word or thing. It has the same letters as midabar, speaking. It is in the wilderness, this is what he writes, in the wilderness that the Israelites hear revelation, the word or speaking of God. And so John comes from the wilderness. John heard God in the wilderness, and the multitudes were going out to him there because they were starving to hear God's word as well. I was listening to a podcast this week, a couple of British uh, Bible scholars. And of course, if you speak with a British accent, your scholarship is inherently better. So they're, they're, they're having this conversation, and they talked about in Josephus. They, Josephus recounts in his histories of the Jews that the, uh, that the multitudes that were coming out to, to be baptized by John were so great that Herod Antipas was concerned that an army was gathering in the wilderness for an insurrection. That's how many people were, were traveling to hear from God in the desert because they knew this, their own story. They knew that it is in the desert that God speaks. Gary M. Burge in his book, The Bible and the Land, says this. He says, the wilderness is a theological symbol for flight and deprivation, for suffering and loss, for vulnerability and helplessness, for dislocation and confusion. But it is also the spiritual setting where renewal takes place, where men and women in the midst of where spiritual renewal takes place, listen, where men and women in the midst of their crisis discover something about God they had not known before. Flight, deprivation, suffering, loss, vulnerability, helplessness, dislocation, confusion, none of that sounds fun. None of that sounds like fun. But God turns those things, this is what the wilderness reminds us, God turns those things into wilderness moments where we can genuinely encounter him. We all experience these desert moments in our lives. There's a desert of broken relationships. It's a wilderness place. An alienated spouse, an alienated child, nothing hurts like that. 
But in that emptiness, God can speak in a way we haven't heard him before. There's times of transition that are wilderness times. I mean, that's the whole journey of the people of Israel. I mean, we'll talk, there's, there, there are transitions, and then there's, then there's 40 years of transition. I don't like transition. Actually, I'm going through a transition right now. I have uh, served as a local pastor, as a pastor in a church since 1987, which was in the last century, you will recall. <laughs> and for the very first time coming up on 16 January of 2023, I will no longer be a local pastor. I will no longer be the rector of a church. I don't know, I won't know how to act. I mean, I have a mission. I'm canon missioner for West Virginia and any place that has a hill, any place that has a mountain, I'm counting that as a part of my territory. Watch out, Ohio. Watch out. Oh, yes, 13 counties in Ohio. They're in Appalachia. Pennsylvania, you're not safe either. No. But seriously, those times of transition, they're, they're times where you really don't know, what am I going to do with myself? Maybe it's the transition of having a new baby or a change of careers or children moving away from home. I remember when our last child moved out, it was weird to be empty nesters. And I'm so glad they're gone now. Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. Graduating from school or losing a job. You see, here's the thing. It's in transition. It's in uncertainty that we are sensitive to God's voice because in those moments, we recognize that our wisdom alone is insufficient. That we need someone outside of ourselves who sees the picture in a way that we can't see it. We need a God who will speak to us in the wilderness. There's obviously the desert of pain. Um, you know, Father David, who you may know is, uh, is battling pancreatic cancer, and he, he gave a testimony at our annual meeting uh, back here in November. And uh, it was powerful because um, in his pain and in that struggle, God had really met him. In fact, he says, he, he uses Hagar's, uh, name for God, the God who sees me. C.S. Lewis, as you remember, says that God whispers to us in our pleasures and he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone. It can be a wilderness place where we can hear from God. I think one of the things, one of the greatest, unfortunately it's, a, and it's expanding territory for this, but one of the greatest apologetics that opens people up to hear the good news about Jesus right now in our post-Christian society is when people slow down enough and think deeply enough to experience the desert of meaninglessness, that their lives lack transcendence. We are not created to thrive without a sense that there is more to reality than just the food I ate and the sleep I got and the work I did today, there's got to be more. We're created with that, that deep longing. The scripture says in Job, God, you have set eternity in the heart of man. You've set eternity in the heart of man. We need transcendence. And when we slow down long enough to recognize that God is not filling that void of existence in our lives, in that moment, that's a desert moment, a place where we can encounter God. And there's the desert of failure. Um, 
Some of us have spreadsheets for how life is going to work out. Literally, I mean, uh, she, she won't mind me telling you this. Back when she was in college, my oldest daughter literally had an Excel spreadsheet about what was going to happen in her life next. And, and I, I, I think that the Lord agreed with me on this and thought that that was just hilarious. That's just hilarious. It is literally, bless your heart, because that is not what we, we, what we think is going to happen is not what we think is going to happen. Nowhere on our spreadsheets for how life is going to work out is, and then I will fail. That's not on anybody's spreadsheet. But in those moments of failure when our dreams come to ruin, and we are necessarily humbled by providential circumstance, in those moments, God can speak into our wilderness. Now, here's the really cool thing, the amazing thing. Yes, the, the word for desert contains the same root uh, consonants as the Hebrew word for to speak or, to, or word, but it also, they're the same, word, the same letters for debir, which means the whole, listen, those same root, that same root refers to, can refer to the holy of holies. The innermost part of the temple where God's presence was manifest on earth. So the desert is a place where we can encounter the very presence of God. The very place where we feel the driest and the emptiest can become the holy of holies. Where we say, I have seen the Lord high and lifted up. So he uses those desert places to prepare us to meet him and to be in his presence. There is another word, it's an obvious word here in this passage that jumps right out, central to being ready to meet Jesus when he comes again, and that word is repent or repentance, Matthew 3, 2. This is John's sermon, very brief, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now there's I want to kind of just look at the last part of that right after the repent real quick because everything about what was going on in that where John is preaching, the wilderness, what he's wearing, the, the garments of Elijah the prophet, uh, the, we'll get to the Jordan and why that's so significant. All of that is, all of those touch points are saying this is just like our story that formed us in the Old Testament. And now everything that God, listen, everything that God promised is coming. All of the things that the, pro, the prophets declared is coming. So how do we get ready? John says, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance doesn't just mean feeling sorry for sin. It means a deep, radical change of direction in our lives. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it means a new beginning. And that's what's behind this act of baptism, right? So that's why they're coming out. They're coming out to be baptized. Here it is. It's John 3, I mean Matthew 3, verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Again, the Jordan River is not just, okay, that's the wettest place I could find for baptisms. No. Like everything else in this passage, baptism in the Jordan links us to God's actions in the Old Testament. We just heard about the significance of the desert for Israel. Similarly, John, like I said, is presented as an Old Testament prophet like Elijah by what he's wearing and even his, his, his food. And then we have the Jordan River. 
So remember, in order for God's people, this is Joshua chapter 3, in, in order for God's people to take possession of the land, in order for them to enter into the promises of God, they had to cross the Jordan River. It was a place of a radical new beginning. We are going from being a wilderness people to a people who have inherited the promises. They are crossing over into a new life. So listen, repentance happens when we ask God for the grace. And by the way, without the grace of God, it is impossible to genuinely repent. We ask God for the grace to repent and then to go in a completely different direction and turn towards him. If we want to go from the wilderness into the promises, if we want to enter into, if we want to inherit the promises of God, we have to go through repentance. Now listen, guys, this, this call to repentance uh, is particularly challenging for us as we get older. So young people, repent now. It gets harder. It's particularly challenging for us to get older, something I can speak about. Because as we grow older, we lay down deep patterns of self-directed living and, yes, even deep patterns of sinful living. And they become so rote and routine that we may not even realize that we are walking in the way of death. We may not realize that we have seared our consciences and hardened our hearts. But if we are going to be ready to meet Jesus at his return, we have to beg, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where we need to turn back to God. We all know, we all know, listen, there are the no-brainer things, right? The works of the flesh, Galatians, you remember the passage in Galatians 5, 19? We know we have to repent of the works of the flesh. Here they are. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, repent. We got that. Those are things we ought not do. But there is, listen, this is, um, this is kind of where I, I, I met the Lord in the scriptures here um, in, a, in a kind of a personal way. Uh, there is something embedded in Matthew 3, in the Matthew 3 passage, that is very revealing. And listen, it is possible to tell ourselves false stories, to tell ourselves false narratives that inoculate us from hearing the call to repent. It is possible to tell yourself, convince yourself of a false narrative that will inoculate you from hearing the call to repent. This is Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, notice it doesn't say coming to be baptized. It says coming to his baptism. I think they're there to evaluate him. Are you creepy, John? Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now here it is. This is the false story. And do not presume to say to yourselves, 
we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Here is the false story that the religious leaders were telling themselves. I have Abraham as my father. I have a place of privilege and prestige because I have the right pedigree. I have the right lineage. So I don't need to abase myself the way the unclean people of the land are doing here in the Jordan. I don't need to get down in that water and confess my sins. I can stand here on the riverbank and evaluate whether John is really a prophet or whether he is just creepy John. I have Abraham as my father. Do you know what this is? That is a first century form of virtue signaling, a first century form of virtue signaling. Beloved, please listen because I'm telling you something that comes from my own painful personal experience. We can tell ourselves stories that congratulate us on our self, listen, we can tell ourselves stories that congratulate us on our self-selected definition of virtue and we never have to deal with the putrefaction and rot that is in our own souls. We can be whitewashed sepulchers beautifully decorated outside, but inside full of dead men's bones, corruption, and all uncleanness. I have Abraham as my father. I've watched a young man who was so self-righteous, so self-congratulatory, because he had the right ideology, he read the right periodicals, he said all the right catchphrases, but then he turned around and betrayed those closest to him and literally destroyed their lives. He touted his commitment to justice and yet perpetrated the vilest and grossest form of injustice. And even while he was doing that, he saw himself as noble and virtuous. He didn't need to change. He didn't need to repent. Didn't need to flee from the wrath to come. He can feel like a good person and literally destroy others because he had the right ideology he had been inoculated from repentance. Inoculated from repentance. I have Abraham as my father. Now here is the terrifying, listen, this is the terrifying thing to me about this. Please listen. Am I, is Ben Sharp doing that in his life? Am I doing that in my life? Am I saying I have Abraham as my father? I'm fine. No need to repent here. I've, I've served God in his church for decades. I've sacrificed. I'm okay. I have Abraham as my father. Holy Spirit of God. Please don't let me do that. Brothers or sisters, don't do that. That's one example of a false narrative. There are many. Am I doing anything like that in my life? But there is a story, and it's 180 degrees away from the I have Abraham as my father false narrative. And yet it is, listen, it's just as alienating from God as the self-righteous self-narrative. Is there a story that you have made up about yourself that's not God's story about who you are? Here it is. Here's one. Listen. 
and this is a tender one for me because I, I deal with this as a pastor far too frequently. Because of deep father wounds, I have seen people absolutely destroy themselves and their ability to be in community because they are on a never-ending quest for personal worth and significance. They cannot rest in the truth that God has, tell, has told them about themselves. And it seems strange to say, but if that's you, you need to repent of the story, this story that you've been telling yourself, that you have no value. Repent of that and believe the good news that God has conferred upon you infinite value because you are made in his image. First of all, can, is there anything more valuable than the image of God? You have infinite worth and value. He's made you in his image. Don't tell yourself the story that you don't, you're not significant, that you don't matter. And because he did not even spare his own son, Jesus, but he cherished you so much that he freely gave him up for your salvation, doesn't that tell you a different story about your worth? He says to you, Turn to me. I am the Father who loves you, and I will never abuse you or abandon you. You never have to impress me. You never have to earn my favor. Jesus did that so that you don't have to. I love you. And so Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, is God's story of how he feels about you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. You don't have to keep striving. You don't have to keep looking for the next place to gain significance. He will quiet that restless inner hunger for significance, and he will quiet it with his love and he will exalt, he will exalt over you with loud singing. That's a better story. That's a better story. As we come to the end of that passage, there is, there is hope. How do we prepare to meet Jesus? That We meet Jesus with hope and we take the warning seriously. We meet him with hope and we take the warning seriously. We prepare with hope even while we heed the warning. The hope is this. Matthew 3.11, John says, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus, the one who is coming, is not going to be just something you hear about externally, but God himself, you will be immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit. You will be drenched in God, and your life will be transformed if you're ready to receive that good news. That's hope. Don't you hope for that? We heard it in the, heard it in the scriptures this morning that the righteousness would cover the lands like the waters cover the seas. Oh, swimming in God. Don't you hope for that? Hope for that. How do you prepare? We prepare with hope. And we also heed the warning. This is serious business. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Our choices here and now have significance. They matter. And so this morning, hear God in your wilderness 
Turn away from the things that tell you the false stories about who you are. Hope in the coming of the Messiah who has already sent upon his church the gift of the Spirit. And God is coming again at the end of the age so that righteousness will cover the land as waters cover the face of the deep. And will swim in God's goodness. So get ready, church. This is serious business. Yes, his winnowing fork is in his hand. But he says, come on into the barn. (laughs) I want to gather you into my barn. Lord, help us to be ready for you at your return. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.